0: Good morning. If you don't know who I am, my name is Pastor John, um, and for the first time, like I could say I'm the senior pastor, the Shore Baptist Church. So, thank you, though, everyone. I, I appreciate you calling and affirming me in in this role. I'm truly humbled and grateful for it. It is an immense responsibility. I don't take it lightly, and I'm I'm looking forward, though, what God can do and will do in and through the people of this church because god works through his church not through one person and so i'm excited to see what he's going to do through you those of you who are here and those of you who are watching online thank you so much for your support and this time we have to move forward together in serving god and his kingdom so speaking of that since we are moving forward together as a church for the last time i'd like us to ask the question of now what We've been kind of in a little series. Some questions have been burning in my mind during the past few months. And so one now is well, we're moving forward as a church. What does that look like? Now what? What are we doing? Because if we're moving forward, we need to know where we're going. If we don't know where we're going, if we don't have a goal, a purpose in mind, then we may travel, but we won't get anywhere. So what should we keep in mind as we move forward? And as I thought about that question, it kind of led me to one of my favorite passages in scripture and some very convicting words from John the Baptist that really helps us to put our priorities in order. So if you're not already there, I'd ask you to turn to the gospel of John chapter 3 verses 25 through 30. Um, You want to use scripture you have, one at home, the words will also appear on the screen. And we haven't done this in a while and I, I know you were just standing up a second ago, but if you don't mind, why don't we stand up one more time to honor the reading of God's word. And I'd ask you to follow along as I read our passage for today. This is John chapter 3, verses 25 through 30. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Verse 25. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, ritual washing. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, he who was with you across the Jordan." The one to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. And John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for, for your word and the convicting truth that's in it. God, help us to move forward in dependence and reliance upon you and help us to recognize how great you truly are, how much better you are than us and to borrow John the Baptist's words, how much you should increase and we should decrease. May our lives be about you. May this church be about you, bringing you glory, honor, and praise. May we learn how to do that from your word today and then may we live it out every day of our lives thank you for your word and thank you for the work of your son jesus christ that makes it possible may he increase it's in his name that i pray amen you may be seated so if we're going to learn from this passage let's talk a little bit about kind of where we are in scripture we're at the very early kind of beginning of jesus's ministry and jesus was coming after his cousin a man named john John would baptize people with a kind of ritual cleansing, symbolizing their desire to repent and turn away from sin and be restored closer to a right relationship with God, their desire to come to him. And John spoke of one who was to come after, who would accomplish that, who would bring them into a right relationship with God. The couple of verses just before we read says Jesus has left Jerusalem after a feast and he's now in the countryside of Judea down by the Jordan River. And while he's there, his disciples are baptizing people and Jesus is overseeing them baptizing people who are repenting, turning from sin. And in this passage, we're seeing a theme that's been going on in John's gospel continuing. John who's different from John the Baptist, a different John, the disciple of John. His goal is to say that Jesus is so much better than everything that came before. He's superior. He's better. He surpasses the old religion, the old faith. He's a a new wine. He's a better purification. He is the temple, the one who should be worshipped. And he gives new birth. And that theme continues here. Now, while Jesus is doing this, John, who was doing things before him, John the Baptist, is continuing to baptize. It's what he did. But the text tells us this is just before John would be arrested, he'd be put in prison, and then he would be executed. So before that happens, an important conversation occurs. And that was our passage that we read. And it gives us a problem that we have to face as a church moving forward. And this problem that we have to deal with is that Jesus is better than us. Jesus is better than us. You see, I put problem in quotation marks. It's not a huge issue, but it is something we have to consider. Jesus is better than us, and that has an impact on our lives. It's something we need to consider, something we need to understand. We already read the passage, so I won't read it again, but I'll highlight some things. There's a discussion, an argument, a dispute. There's a debate over what John the Baptist had been doing. He'd been baptizing people. He'd been helping them do this ritual purification, this desire to express their turning away from sin and coming to God, a ceremonial washing. But John's disciples and this unknown Jew that they're arguing with, they realize something else is happening with Jesus. In their words, they say to John, he who was with you across the Jordan, the one John who you baptized, the one who you said people should follow and know, this guy, everybody's going to him now they're not here anymore everyone is is over there we have so much less people than we had before john's disciples his followers they're seeing jesus as a competitor and let's try to understand their shoes this is somebody they've been listening to and following for a long time they probably spent a couple years with this guy and all of a sudden all these crowds of people are going to this new guy and not just a new guy but somebody who came to john himself somebody that John baptized, somebody that John said, this is a good guy, a guy you should listen to. And now everybody's going to him. Well, I don't know who this Jesus guy is, but he should be more grateful to John. John set him up to have success. Why is he not grateful? Why is he taking all of our people? John was the one who baptized him. Doesn't that make John better than whoever this guy is? Well, John disagrees with them, and he gives three kind of ways in this text about he's saying Jesus is actually better than me. He is better than us. And the first way he's better is he is greater. He's a greater person. Jesus is greater. While Jesus's popularity made John's followers jealous, that's a temptation we can share as well. We can look at any place around the world and we can be jealous of maybe another church or another ministry. Maybe there's another church that's bigger than we are, or a ministry that has more resources, or maybe it's, it's a church that seems to have less problems. We've had quite a tumultuous couple of years. Maybe there's a church that well, like nothing seems to go wrong there. Why does that happen over there? But John takes a moment to step back. He realizes that there's less people with him, but he reminds his disciples that he is not the Christ. He is not the Messiah. He says in verse 28, you yourselves bear me witness. You remember that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. In verse 29, he calls himself the friend of the bridegroom, the best man, the one who stands by the side. Earlier in this book, the gospel of John, it talks about this role that John the Baptist had. It says this way back in chapter one, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness, testify about the light that all might believe through him. He, John, was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. His role was to bear witness to this light, this greater person who was coming after him, Jesus Christ. John was sent before Jesus to prepare the way. His teaching was pointing to this greater Savior still to come. And he told them plainly who he was and who Jesus is. And he's saying his followers, they should have remembered this. John was fulfilling a role that had been prophesied in the Old Testament. There's two passages about it. In Malachi, the very last book in our Old Testament says, Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. Isaiah talks about a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This is what John was doing. He was this messenger, this voice in the wilderness saying the Messiah, the savior is coming back in John chapter one. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed. He did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And so in this conversation, John's saying, I know you guys like me and that you follow me. And you might not like this, but it's true. My ministry is being replaced by Jesus. Jesus is greater than I am. The baptism that he is doing is not the same thing that I'm doing. It is something greater and better. This baptism that his disciples are doing is greater. We see this a little later in the New Testament. Uh, One man, the Apostle Paul, travels to a city named Ephesus And there's some people who have been baptized by John, but they don't know about Jesus, the Messiah. And this is what Paul says to them. He says, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, but he told people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. And so then on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. John's talking about that even back here. He's saying there's a greater baptism to come through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is greater. He's far greater, far better than we could hope to be. Nothing we could ever do can compare in any way, shape, or form. So no matter how cool you think you are, Jesus is better. Nothing we do compares to his work. Because Jesus was the son of God, but he was fully God, fully man. He came and he lived on earth. And when he lived here, he obeyed everything God said perfectly. He never made a mistake, never stumbled. He lived God's law perfectly. But then after that, he died on a cross. He was still killed even though he never did anything wrong and on that death he had as unjust and as terrible and as much as he suffered dying on a cross, that wasn't everything. He also had the weight of every sin, everything everyone else who would know God did against him. That was put on him, and he bore the spiritual punishment for sin. He suffered all that, but then he rose to new life, as we sang in the song, in Christ alone. He was risen to life, This is what jesus did and it's better than what anyone else did or anyone else could do And since jesus did all that that means he is now able to call people to god He's able to build a kingdom of god's people And the second thing john is saying is that his kingdom Is bigger Jesus's kingdom is bigger his role that he's doing is bigger than the role that I have his kingdom is bigger Jesus is the long-awaited king Messiah, Savior. John uses this kind of language of tying to a wedding in verse 29. Remember, he says, The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. He says, Jesus is the groom. He is the one who is getting married, who the event's about. I'm just the friend. I'm just the best man. I just stand to the side. I listen to the groom say his vows, declare his love for his bride. The service isn't about me. I'm just standing there watching. This is language that Jesus would pick up as well. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is asked a question about fasting and he says, can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when I'm taken away, when the bridegroom is taken away. Then, they will fast. Jesus acknowledges who he is. He is the groom. And what we see here and throughout scripture is the truth of what marriage is. It's a picture of this relationship. Everyone who knows God, who has a relationship with him through Jesus Christ, will one day be married to Christ in a way much grander even than marriage looks like here. And so our marriages we have where husband and wife come together, it's a picture of that union between Jesus Christ and his church his people and john's saying that he has just has a tiny role in this his role the role of every church every ministry and every minister is to prepare god's people for their wedding day it's to prepare people to be ready to be united with jesus forever paul talks about this he writes to the corinthians i feel divine jealousy for you i betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. As people were straining into sin, he's saying, no, your husband is Christ. He is the one that you are to live for. And that means for us at church, our role is to prepare people to know Jesus. That means we introduce people to Jesus. We help bring them to faith in him, but we also help them grow in their faith, to know him better. And that's something God is doing throughout the world, and he's done throughout all time since jesus that is the what is happening people are coming to know him be a part of this church this bride and so that means god's kingdom is much more than east shore baptist church god's kingdom is much more than anything happening in the southern baptist convention god's kingdom is much more than anything happening in the united states of america it's bigger than any political party or personal preference god's kingdom is everyone every person who will ever know him and that Group, that congregation is made up of people from every people group, every ethnicity, every little tribe, every group makes up this kingdom. We see a picture of this at the very end in Revelation. The elders who are worshiping God sang a new song. They said to Jesus, Worthy are you to take the scroll, to open the seals, because you were slain, you died for sin, and by your blood, you ransomed, you bought people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priest to our God. They shall reign on the earth. This is the work that God is doing in his kingdom. He's bringing people from all over the world, from every people group into a relationship with him. It's a work that continues to this day. And if we have the eyes to see, look beyond our own context, we can see it happening In amazing ways i was reading statistics and things this week the church is growth is exploding in many places in the world particularly in in africa the church is really growing in the continent of africa now we may hear stories of churches growing and ministries being successful and i I know i sometimes have this tendency i have a very critical eye to things and so i want to sit back and say yes but is all of that healthy church growth are these people actually learning about who jesus is And it's possible that some of the growth that we hear about in places is unhealthy, but the same thing's true here in the United States. There's churches growing that are perhaps unhealthy churches. So let's assume that at least some of what's happening is people genuinely coming to a relationship with Jesus Christ, and praise God for that. According to one scholar named Philip Jenkins, by the year 2050, this is looking at projections, who knows, but by the year 2050, the estimate is there will be over 1 billion Christians On the continent of africa one billion followers of christ in africa by that time that means that 33 percent of the world's christians over a third of all the christians in the world will live on the continent of africa so friends the center of god's work is really not happening here it's happening in so many other places in the world we see god working he is building his kingdom even if we can't see it right here and hearing things like that is very humbling. It realize, makes us realize how small we are, that God's work, this great growth, is happening in these other places. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not important. That doesn't mean, oh, God's rejected, he's forgotten about his church in America. I'm, I'm not saying that. We have a role to play, and God is still working in us. I love seeing people and churches be revitalized, have new faiths, restored energy and devotion to the Lord. I'd like serving in areas seen where cultures seem to pass them by, but people are passionate about Christ. For example, we serve with uh, believers in the Czech Republic, and that's a place in Europe where there's grand church buildings, but most of them are empty. But there are people coming to know Christ, and maybe the statistics don't bear it out, but we can see people coming to know Christ, be passionate about him, and make differences in their community. So as our culture passes us by, it's an opportunity for us to shine brightly, shine brighter for our Lord and Savior, because we are a part of this greater story. God uses us for his glory, and his kingdom is so much bigger than what's happening here. In fact, the real humbling truth is that Jesus doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. Not only is his kingdom bigger and he's greater, but he doesn't need us. John recognizes this. He says in verse 27, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. John's realizing everything that I have is just because God has blessed. The fact that there were so many people coming to me, that was God working in their hearts and minds. That wasn't something amazing that I was doing because the truth is God doesn't need me is what he's conveying to his disciples. Everything we have comes from him. Any success or promotion, any influence we have is from God. We are not entitled to anything. It only comes from Him. Now, sometimes we uh, see people and we say, oh, they're, they're entitled to things. Those entitled people, yeah, we're, we're not like that. It's very easy to criticize someone for being entitled, but it's hard to realize that we have entitlement issues of our own. We're all pretty entitled if we're honest with ourselves. We think we deserve happiness. We think we deserve an easy life. We think we deserve for things to always go our way. But John reminds us in this verse that everything we have is a gift. It's not deserved. The brother of Jesus, James, would write about this. He wrote, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, and there's no variation or shadow from changing with him. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from God. Our acceptance that we have with others as individuals, our acceptance as a community, that can only come from God. God alone can bring growth. God alone can bring success in numbers and spiritual growth. God alone can bring that to a church. And His ways are not our ways. This has always been true of God. In the Old Testament, uh, Psalm 75 says it's not from the east or from the west it's not from the wilderness that someone is lifted up it is god who executes judgment he puts one down and he lifts up another that means there's no clue we have to figure out there's no magic key we need to discover in order how to make our church grow and expand god's blessing his work in us is what we need now That doesn't mean that we just sit back and say, God, you work, and we'll we'll sit here and wait for it. No, we should should try. We should try new things. We should see how we can impact culture, see how we can reach people. Try new things. Be creative. But a church only grows as God wills it. The book of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about leaders who have impacted this church. He says, I planted another guy named Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the growth in your church. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And if God alone gives the growth, that means he is the one who should be praised, and he alone, because he alone has the power, the strength, the might to make a church grow, to make us grow in our spiritual life. John the Baptist himself talked about this in the book of Matthew. He says, "'I baptize you with water for repentance.'" But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, I'm not worthy to have the lowest role in his kingdom. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So what does that mean for our church? It means we don't have to save everyone in the area around us. (laughs) Jesus can do that on his own. He doesn't need us to do that. But he is pleased to work through his people work through his church god does not need east shore baptist church but maybe he can use us in a small role in building his kingdom in accomplishing his grand purpose we need contentment in our small role in god's kingdom and use it to bring god as much glory as possible in this area jesus is greater his kingdom is bigger he doesn't need us well then what what should we do Well, John gives us a solution, and his solution is that he, Jesus, must increase, and I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. Let me read verses 29 and 30 again to kind of remind us where we are. It says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands by and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. And in these two verses, John is kind of talking about two responses we can have to this truth. If Jesus is better than us, if he's so much greater and everything he's doing is beyond us, he doesn't need us, how do we respond to it? Well, first, we must rejoice. We must rejoice in what he is doing. As he says at the end of verse 29, he says, the, one, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. John's joy is complete. It's filled. It's made full by seeing what's happening in Jesus's ministry. John took joy in what was happening with Jesus. Even as what Jesus was doing was replacing his own work. One scholar named D.A. Carson put, John finds his joy not in grudgingly conceding victory to a superior opponent. Well, guess Jesus' church is better than mine. No, he wholeheartedly embraces God's will and the supremacy, the value it assigns to Jesus. So friends, in our area, our country, other churches may have bigger and may have more impactful ministries than we do. And that should not make us jealous. We should be faithful to the role that God has given us and rejoice in the success of God's kingdom elsewhere. Even if we don't 100% agree with the way another church may do things, we can rejoice if people are coming to know Jesus Christ. Now, we should show discernment. There are churches that talk about a gospel that's really not the gospel at all. They talk about how Jesus wants to make your life better here on earth through health and wealth and and other things talk about you don't need a relationship with Jesus It's about doing the right thing. I'm not saying we affirm those things. Where people say wrong, we say, no, this is what the Bible says. But where we see people coming to know Jesus, have a genuine relationship with him, understand that their sin has separated them from God, and Jesus brings them into a right relationship with him, well, then we can rejoice. John is reminding us to rejoice in those moments. And as for our own church, well, we can pray for growth. We can pray that God would grow his church. We can pray that God would use us greatly for his glory. And then we can rejoice in whatever happens, knowing that his will will be done. Our role is to model the joy that a best man, a groomsmen, a bridesmaids, and the crowd has at a wedding. They take joy in the fact the husband and wife are coming together. The day is about the happy couple, they take joy in what's happening there. They know the day's not about them and about people praising what's happening to them. We have an example of this, a wedding ceremony in the Old Testament, the book Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. The groom says, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. And the crowds by watching the ceremony says, eat friends, drink, be drunk, with love, They are so overjoyed to see this couple in love and what God is doing through them. If we are faithful to God, if we are faithful in following His Word, pursuing the course that He has put for us, if we are faithful, then our church and the ministry here will be successful in God's sight. If we're faithful. Not if we grow ten times or grow this, not if we do this thing or that thing, but if we are faithful to what God has called us to do, then the church will be successful. Now, let me be clear. I would love for our church to grow, and I'm going to work very hard, as much as it depends on me, to make that happen. But at the end of the day, that's up to God. He's the one who has to work. Our role is to serve with joy. And our joy, then, should lead us to amplify, to make much of Jesus. That's the other thing John is saying. We must amplify and make much of Jesus Christ. And that's really what's happening there in verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, if you've been around East Shore for any length of time, you probably know that John 3.30 is one of my favorite verses in Scripture. I probably only quoted every sermon just about. <laughs> But the reason I like it is because it's such a powerful guide to what our life should be about. The reason I quote it is it's a reminder to myself, even though I'm standing up here, this really isn't about me. And if I start to make it about me in my mind, I need to correct that because it is about him. It is about Jesus first and foremost. And that's extremely convicting because here's the truth. I'm human. Sometimes I like life to be about me. Sometimes I like it when things go my way. Sometimes I like it when I get what I want in life. But that's why this verse, this teaching is so impactful. It's a reminder to me, no, my life is not about getting what I want. My life is about making much of Jesus Christ. John's words are must. He must increase. I must decrease. It is God's determined will. He must increase and become greater. I must decrease, become less and less with my life, less and less about me. John knew for his whole life that this is what his life would be about. There was a prediction of prophecy given about John before his birth. And it said that he, what would happen to John, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him, before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. What is he doing? He is making ready for the Lord a people prepared. His role was to prepare people for Jesus, who was still to come. John's role was to say, hey, there's someone really cool coming right behind me. That is who you should focus on. Don't focus on me. And Jesus even pointed this out. In John 5, Jesus said that John was a burning and a shining lamp. You were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I, that Jesus, that I have is greater than that of John. For the works the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, they bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. John was a great lamp. He shone light on the truth, but that, that's all he was. He was a lamp pointing toward the truth that was coming. One scholar, Andreas Kostenberger, says, Now that the light has come, the lamp has done its work. Now think about it, you don't need lights when the sun rises, if you're outside. There are stars in the sky, but when the sun comes up, you can't see them anymore because the sun is just that bright. Now, if you were using a flashlight at night and then the sunrise comes up, you can keep using your flashlight if you want to. Nothing has changed with the flashlight, but you don't see as much because the sun, its light is so overwhelming. Our lights still work, the stars are still there, but the sun is is so much brighter. It's foolish to resist or try to overpower its light with something else. And that's what John realized his role was, and that's our role as well. Our role when the light is there is to step back and let people see the light rather than ourselves. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a song by the Christian artist uh, Toby Mack had one. This was a couple years ago called Steal My Show. And there were a couple of lines in this that, that always stand out to me and make me remember what my life is supposed to be about at the end of the one verse he says i'm going to step out of the way i'll give you center stage all right spotlight on you god and give them what they came for if you want to steal my show i'll sit back and watch you go if you've got something to say go on and take it away i need you to steal my show i can't wait to watch you go so take it away He's understanding that, in his case, he's an artist, and he's saying that my performance should not be about me. It should be letting people see God and know him better. And that should be the same in every facet of our life. Not about bringing glory, attention, focus to me, but stepping back, letting the spotlight be on Jesus Christ, making our life about him. Our life is not about making us known. It's about making Jesus known. I don't really need praise. Jesus does because he deserves it. It's not that he needs praise to stay alive. It's he's the one who deserves it. So he should get it. And living a life this way, pointing focus to Jesus, I'm not calling for a kind of false humility. Sometimes we can almost, some Christians can almost, myself included, we can tend to go overboard in this a little bit, that it goes almost too far and it draws attention to ourselves. If we like hand somebody a you know, a piece of paper that they need. And they're like, thank you. And you say, no, don't thank me. Jesus gave me the ability to give you that that paper. Okay, that, that's that's probably a little too far with it there. But we can still use opportunities we have to direct people's attention and their focus to Jesus Christ. So maybe not in that moment, if you hands them a piece of paper, it'd be like, just say you're welcome. It, it, it's okay. But if the conversation happens later, it goes on, you can be like, you know, I'm just really grateful that for the health that I have to be here today and how good God has been enabling me to be here and and serve with you in this. Okay, there we're directing glory and focus onto Jesus Christ, seeing praise given where praise is due. We can trust him to do what is right and to be honored. One pastor, an English pastor named J.C. Ryle, he said, expect little from self, but much from Christ. What John is saying in this passage is to look more to Jesus and less to self. So having heard all of that, that kind of brings us to the point we always have in these sermons, which is now what? Now what? If this is true, Jesus is greater and he's the one who should increase, I should decrease, we should lower ourselves, then what does that look like for us? What does that look like in my life? What does that look like for East Shore Baptist Church? Well, there's kind of at least three steps, three application points I thought about. One is that we should worship him. We should worship Jesus. We should glorify him. Jesus is the bridegroom, is what John said. The wedding, the event, all of history is about him, what he's doing and him uniting with his bride, his people, the church. And no one likes going to a a wedding where there's someone trying to upstage the happy couple. There's somebody trying to make the day about them when it should really be about the ones getting married. Well, everything that's happening in the world is about Jesus uniting with his church. So we shouldn't be the one who's trying to draw attention to ourselves instead of making it about him. And one way we make sure that Jesus is praised for who he is is by just doing it, by praising him. Psalm 29 is, one passage says, ascribe, give to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. When we serve When God blesses, we need to deflect glory from ourselves onto him, praise him for what he is doing. This is really a call to humility. In 1 Peter, uh, he writes, to clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humility should define God's people, and humility is what we need, especially when it's so hard and we have a temptation to raise up those who are doing well. I was very convicted by a quote from that pastor i just mentioned jc ryle He, looking at this passage he said this he said as churches decay and fall away they think less of christ and more of their ministers but as churches revive and receive spiritual life they think less of their ministers and more of christ i thought that was that was a powerful realization and that That is what I want to happen here at East Shore. Don't get me wrong. I am very honored, very blessed to be your senior pastor, but I don't want to be remembered. I want this church to be known for their love, devotion, and commitment to Jesus Christ. And I want people to come to know Jesus through this church. Because the true honor only comes from true humility and attitude of our life is about Jesus Christ. Our life is about worshiping him, not only with how we sing, but how we live. We make decisions. This decision will honor God. It won't be what I want. It will be what blesses God, what supports his word, what builds his kingdom. Our lives belong to him. Romans 12, 1, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies, your lives as a living sacrifice, Live in a way that's holy and acceptable to God because this is your spiritual worship. We worship God with what we say and how we live. So let's make our church passionate about worshiping God with our words and with our lives. And when we do it with our words and our lives, we'll discover that we can't keep this amazing truth to ourselves and we need to tell others about him. That'll be what we'll do if, it were, if Jesus is increasing, we're decreasing, we'll tell others about him. This was a lesson that John took in John 1, uh, the Gospel of John chapter 1. John the Baptist says, I have seen, I have borne witness that this, Jesus, is the Son of God. And this was a calling that Jesus gave to all of his disciples as well. When Jesus ascended into heaven in the book of Acts, he says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You will be my witnesses. You will tell others about me. And this is not just a New Testament post-Jesus thing. This has always been true of God's people. Back in the Old Testament, look at Psalm 96. It says, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. God's people have always been called to declare, bless, praise God, tell others what God is doing. It's our responsibility to tell our friends, relatives, acquaintances, and neighbors about Jesus, who he is, what he has done for us, and how they can know him. The way we try to do that here is we, we talk about sharing the gospel, we talk about um, how we can do that? We have training things to try to help you. How can you have that conversation with others? Each week in the bulletin or online in the midweek email, we talk about the ways people have been sharing the gospel, and it's our calling to share with others about Jesus. Remember, our role is to prepare people to meet God. But it's not just telling others how they can know Jesus or, or helping them come to a relationship with Him. Our work doesn't stop there, because we're also to make disciples of him to make followers of Jesus. That's how he increases and we decrease. We make followers and disciples of him. And we get this from some of Jesus's last words while he was here on earth, his great commission, where he told his followers to go therefore and make disciples, make followers of me from all nations, all people groups. You do this by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And you can do this because I am with you always to the end of the age. It's fine that once we know Jesus, we should want to know him more and more. And we should want to see others who don't know him come to know him and also grow to know him more and more. It's not that we become a Christian and then it's like, great, here's your Christian membership card. Now go sit and enjoy the service. No. God works in us at all times, and He's growing us to make us have a closer relationship with Him. And there's a couple of ways that can happen. We, we do that here in the church building by we try to have opportunities for you to grow in your faith and learn more about God. We teach the Word here on Sunday mornings. We have a variety of classes about it. We have groups like home fellowship groups. We're trying to start new groups, like maybe one soon for those who are younger and, and married or those other areas that are missing it. Uh, we've worked uh, just yesterday, there were a couple of us here at the church, we were filming some videos about Bible studies for kids that we hope to release in October coming up here. So take a look out for that. Share that with, with any kids you know. Call them Friday Night Bites. So we were filming that yesterday. It'll probably come in October. We want to make opportunities for people of every age to learn about God, to know him better. But do you want to know the truth? The truth is that real discipleship, real growing in our relationship with Jesus, it As important as those things are, it doesn't really happen in that setting. Real discipleship, real growth, real growing in our relationship with Jesus happens as people connect to one another. And as people build relationships and model what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus and help another person see this is how Jesus impacts your life right here. And that type of modeling, this connection that others have, that's something that I cannot do alone. No person can do that alone. But a church together can have that kind of impact on one another and on the community around them. We can show people that the difference that a relationship with God makes in our lives. We can demonstrate how every person can know God better. And when we talk about this, use this phrase, make disciples, sometimes that makes us a little on edge. We're like, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor John. That sounds like something scary, something I need to learn. I don't know if I can learn that. This is something every one of God's followers can do. All it is is spending time with someone and talking about what God is doing and what he has done in your life. And yes, that's a skill we need to develop because sometimes we're used to spending time with someone and we'll talk about anything other than God. Talk about news, sports, weather, something else. And so we do have to develop the thing of being able to in our conversation with another believer in the church being, this is what God is doing in my life right now. That's something we need to develop, yes. But it's something that each of us can do. And if we're genuine followers of Christ, then God should have made a difference in our life. All we have to do is tell somebody what he's doing in our life right now. We should want to share it. We should live for these type of conversations and seeing spiritual growth in others. In the book of, book of First Thessalonians, Paul writes, for this reason, brothers, brothers, and sisters, even though we've been in distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. I love the scripture. He says, now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Paul, this distance away, it gives him life and energy to hear that these people he worked with are growing in their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what gives him energy. That's what gives him motivation to go on, hearing about their spiritual growth. So my goal for the church is that we would do that, that we would worship God, we would tell others about him, that we would make disciples by having conversations about what God is doing in our life. And if we do those things, then everyone will be able to see that we are about Jesus first. We're about making him increase and ourselves decrease. So friends, let's, let's commit to that. Now, Some of you may need to commit to know Jesus. Perhaps you don't even know him. Jesus was the one who died, as we talked about. He's the one who came and lived perfectly so we could have a relationship with him. We can't grow with him. We can't live a life that's less about ourselves and more about him if we don't have a relationship with him. We have a relationship with him when we turn away from sin. We put our faith and our trust fully in him, depend on him, realize I cannot make myself right with God, I have no hope for eternity without what Jesus has done for me. This is something that anyone who's a genuine follower of Christ can tell you about if you have questions, but it's also something you can do. It's you saying, God, I'm turning away from sin and I am depending, relying on you. Let me encourage you, if you do not know Jesus Christ, call out to him, come to know him, because only then can you live in the way that John talks about here but for the rest of us, let's commit to doing that. Let's commit to living in a way that makes our lives less about ourselves and more about Jesus Christ. Let's commit to worshiping him with our words and with our lives. Let's commit to telling others about him. Let's commit to making disciples and followers of him. And let's do that together right now, not because we want to be special, not because we want God to say, wow, you guys are doing great. No, because it's about Jesus, and he alone is worthy of it.